Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel, bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you will not hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he commanded in Ephesians 5.11. God states in his word that he would rise up ministries in the last days to do mighty exploits that would turn many to righteousness. Now here with vital insights from God's word is pastor and author Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the fastest half hour on radio here at the Good Fight Radio Show, where we learn to discern the difference between good and evil, light and darkness, and discover God's will for our lives. Uh, today, we're having a Bible answer man type show. Uh, we often take questions and, and jump into the scriptures together, and uh, we often look at uh, discernment issues, and we look at contemporary culture, things of that nature. But uh, this afternoon, we're going to be looking at Bible questions, and one specifically, uh, that's a question that's literally asked by thousands and thousands of people uh, through the years. I've received this question uh, in different ways and different aspects about the, the personage we'll be talking about here uh, and different people very fearful that they may have committed the uh, unpardonable sin. I'm talking about the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, many thousands, thousands of professing Christians have actually cringed and lived their lives with a total lack of assurance of their salvation and and just bewilderment as to whether perhaps they'd committed that sin. And just a life of dread, really, really heartbreaking when you think about it. And it's something that we, I think it's very important that we actually look at and see what the scriptures have to say about that sin. Uh, and I believe if you uh, stick with me in this show and you just, you know, seek the Lord and you, you use your brain and, and see what the scriptures say, uh, you'll find that if you feel like you may have committed it and you're really truly seeking God and you're concerned, uh, I think there's a lot of room for assurance when we really look at what that sin is and also what it constitutes to actually do it and uh, where the Lord's mercy and grace fits in. And, and I'm talking about a, a thoroughly scriptural uh, presentation, of course, not one based on some kind of, uh, you know, bruised reed or, or false hope or uh, some kind of illusion based on, you know, wanting to feel more comfortable. But when we look at the scriptures, we actually see something that's quite astounding for people that even think they have this down. Uh, re, you know, recently, real recently, we received a question from a young lady who brought up that she was a Satanist and still was when she was writing to us and was wanting to recant her Satanism, but struggling. Uh, she was brought up by a father who was a Satanist who had who had died and, and she was concerned. Uh, she began to fear God and started to recognize and realize that God is actually uh, the one that she's going to answer to. And the fear of God came upon her and I'm going to withhold her name. Uh, a brother in our ministry has actually corresponded with her, trying to encourage her and what have you. And But pray for this young lady because uh, she has a hard time even uh, saying the name of Jesus because of her Satanism. But she had felt that she'd committed the unpardonable sin, uh, being brought up a Satanist and what have you, and that she couldn't uh, be accepted by God ever, and that she was basically on her way to, to hell or the lake of fire. Uh, so, you know, there's many people that have this question, as, as I said, but her particular circumstances uh, reminded me of a, a, a young man I talked to years ago uh, who became a Satanist and practiced the Satanism in Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible and, and did many of the rituals against God in the Satanic Bible. Uh, however, he had claimed that he didn't feel the Satanic Bible had gone far enough because there wasn't an actual ritual to, as he wanted to, as a Satanist, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Therefore, uh, he uh, lit a candle. And uh, there he, in a, in a ritual, and he made up his own ritual to uh, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which he did. And 
uh, there in prison, he said. And right when he did it, he said that his whole life just shattered. That very moment, he went insane. They had to restrain him because he was, you know, such dread had come upon him. And to this day, as far as I know, he's still on antidepressants because he says if he gets off of them, he'll basically go berserk. You have, you know, those, you know, incredibly uh, extreme examples of, of blasphemy the Holy Spirit. Then you have others who uh, have been concerned that even a thought that may have come in their mind, in fact, uh, one uh, gentleman claims he's a newly born Christian and writes about having blasphemous thoughts against the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, and stating that he's tormented and saying that he really loves God and doesn't want to hurt him, but he's scared uh, and he doesn't want to go to hell. Help me. And uh, these are basic thoughts that come into his mind, thoughts that he doesn't agree with even, but he's fearful that they may constitute the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And uh, of course, uh, a lot of people need help. Satan's real, and uh, all of us, every single human being, especially Christians, will battle thoughts that they disagree with because uh, the Bible says we as Christians do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in high places and we're to, to take the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Satan throws darts at us. He puts thoughts in our minds. That's why we need to put on the helmet of salvation all the armor of God. But uh, it's, it's a fact that as Christians, uh, the enemy is very real and he will engage our mind by seeking to uh, place thoughts in our minds that we are disagreeable to. However, his objective is to get us to own those thoughts, to accept those thoughts eventually, and to uh, basically wear us out and to keep us in a fog and, and to give in to uh, you know, bitterness toward God and what have you. And uh, Martin Luther struggled with demonic attacks and blasphemous thoughts. In fact, there's a movie on Martin Luther's life and uh, you know, actually a pretty strong production, the strongest production ever in his life that was put out, I'd say maybe 10 years ago or so. It actually shows him wrestling with these thoughts and these spirits as he's actually trying to shoot them away and what have you. Uh, Luther said uh, something interesting along these lines. He said, you cannot keep birds from flying around your head, but you can sure keep them from building a nest. And I thought that was a very good statement because we can't keep birds from flying around our head. They can fly around our heads. If they're going to fly around our heads, uh, you know, we can try to shoot them away, but they can come back. But we certainly can keep them from building a nest in our hair. And that is that we cannot accept these thoughts. We can't accept a disposition that is anti-God. The enemy will put thoughts in our minds, thoughts in our hearts, uh, and we're tested as Christians, but we must resist the devil and draw near to God. And the scriptures say that the devil will flee from us. Of course, uh, that doesn't always happen, you know, instantaneously. You can look at the book of Job. Uh, Job sought to resist the devil and he didn't flee immediately, but he did flee eventually. And that's why we're told in the book of James in chapter five to consider the perseverance of Job and the prophets. Uh, we need to, uh, we're, we're in a wrestling match and a wrestling match is not a sprint. It's it's lifelong uh, and there's times where the enemy flees, but even when he fled at Jesus, when we read there in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4, uh, it says he departed from Jesus for a time. Uh, so we always have to, we, we're not in a playground. We're not in heaven yet either, folks. We're we're in uh, the, the world system that we live in. Is, the Bible says that, you know, Satan is the god of this world system. The scriptures say that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. So we need to have our guard up. We'd be sober, be vigilant for adversary the devil. The scriptures say walks about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, when it comes to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We need to see exactly what the scriptures say about it. In fact, in the context we read about it in Mark chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 12, it comes on the heels of false teachers uh, 
you know, becoming very jealous of Jesus and his following because he's doing all these wonderful uh, miracles. He's he's healing the blind so they can see and unstopping the ears of the deaf and making the lame walk. He's raising the dead to life, folks. Uh, he's doing all these wonderful things. He's doing exorcism and casting demons out of people and what have you. And the religious leaders became very, very jealous of Jesus. In fact, the religious leaders were so jealous of Jesus, they wanted to deal with his uh, miraculous power. They had to. They couldn't explain away the miracles. That's one of the amazing things when we read the gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And we, we see that they couldn't explain away the miracles by saying that they were, you know, counterfeit miracles. You know, these these phony miracles that you see some of these, uh, and I do believe God still does miracles, but you see some of these, you know, uh, wild television evangelist, you know, slapping people with their coats and stuff and doing all these crazy stuff. And some of these things obviously aren't verified. Yet Jesus's were very verified. These were lame people. These were paralytics that were now walking around. People that they knew in the villages that were blind, uh, begging, who could now see. Uh, absolutely amazing. And people that were there planning funerals and now they're walking around. So the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they couldn't explain these things away by trying to say they were false miracles. It was evident to everybody. So what they had to do, the only thing they could do is either bow down to Jesus as the promised Messiah and accept what the scriptures said in the Old Testament. However, the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, other passages, tell us that the Messiah would be rejected as, as the head cornerstone, that who would believe the report of the Messiah. And so it was prophesied that many would reject Jesus because they were holding on to their power. They wanted to you know, hold their political power, their religious power over the people, yet people were flocking to Jesus. So what are they going to do? Either accept Jesus, but obviously many of them didn't want to, uh, therefore, they're going to attack the source of the miracles. And instead of bowing down to Jesus, the only way they can uh, cast doubt on his miracles is to claim that he's being used by Satan, that the miracles are not done by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, but that Satan is the act actually the one who is doing the miracles. And Jesus responded to this indictment by saying, quote, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. You see, that was verses 28, 29, and 30 of Mark chapter 3. If you back up a little bit, we read that the scribes came down from Jerusalem and they were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. He had cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. See, they couldn't deny his miracles, so they're attacking the source of the miracles. Now, it's interesting, the act of exorcism was prominent within uh, Judaism of the first century, but yet they were using uh, incantations and formulas and magical potions and things of that nature, actually veering off into the occult. As many Orthodox Jews today are involved in Kabbalah and occultic practices, even back then, uh, they were using these different things to try to control these demons. Yet Jesus would simply use his word. The power of his word was enough to cause these demons to flee. And that's what got the attention of people, not just the healings, but they had power over the evil one. Now, it's interesting because in Matthew chapter 12, we get more detail about uh, this sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the text uh, reveals to us that a certain man was demon-possessed, he was blind, he had the in the inability to speak. And Jesus cast out this demon, healed his blindness, and gave him the ability to speak. Quite a miracle. Well, the result of that is many of the multi or the multitudes began to say, could this be the son of David? In chapter 12, verse 23, they began to just like, wow, could this be the Messiah? And keep in mind, Satan was, you know, trying to keep people blinded to who he was. And the Pharisees, according to Jesus in chapter 8, verse 44 of Matthew, I'm sorry, of the Gospel of John, uh, he said, you are of your father the devil. There was a battle going on. And yet it's at this point that they said, hey, you know, he's basically doing this by the power of Beelzebub. And Beelzebub comes from Baal, which reflects the Semitic word Baal, or Baal, as we commonly say, which means Lord or, or Master. Uh, and it's interesting because he was a storm god of Canaan and Zebul. 
And Zabal, Beelzebub, Beelzebub uh, means heights uh, or heavens or what have you. He's basically the Lord of the heights, the mountains, the heavens. Now, it's interesting. The Jews, what they did is they would take the name of these false gods because one scripture tells them that they're not even to utter the, name, the names of these false gods, just to be led astray by them. They would take the names of these false gods, the nations, and they twist them a bit and, and bring a disparaging title to their names. And it began to become Beelzebub, which meant, uh, you know, uh, from the Aramaic Dababa, which is the fly. So Beelzebub became Lord of the Flies in the Jewish mindset. And they're using a derogatory term saying that Jesus is in affiliation with Lord of the Flies, which was now the name of Satan, and uh, basically saying that he's doing it by the ruler of the demons. Folks, we're going to take a short break. In fact, you know what? We'll be back in less than 30 seconds, so don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. If you'd like to learn more about our life-changing resources, such as They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll and The Submerging Church, check out our website at goodfightradio.org. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. We're talking about the question of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, a sin that Jesus said would not be forgiven in this world or the world to come. And I said a few questions uh, in regard to that because many people thousands of people literally fear even professing Christians many professing Christians uh, think that they may have committed that particular sin I quoted one uh, young man earlier who uh, said that he just had horrible thoughts against the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and and that that's not his intention he doesn't want to hurt God but the thoughts came to his mind he thought maybe he had committed that sin and and he said he didn't want to hurt God but he he fears he's going to hell and you know uh, wanting help, uh, he reflects the questions of many, many people uh, who are concerned about that particular sin. And, and and rightfully so, as Christians, we ought to be real concerned and, and fear God that we stay away from all sin. But when you read about that sin and, and the gravity of it, where you know one won't be forgiven in this world or the world to come, you can see why people who have felt that they may have committed it would be concerned about their just e- their eternal destiny. And I've, it's been on my heart to you know deal with this subject along with many others because I really believe as Christians God wants us to have assurance. And I want to answer this from Scripture. So we've been looking at the actual sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and it's interesting because uh, Jesus, when he's being accused of casting demons out by the power of Satan, I said in the first part of this show that the Pharisees were. Accusing him of being in a collusion with Satan, and that was the source of his power because they couldn't explain away the miracles. Therefore, they had to say, "Hey, how are we going to how are we going to turn people away from him? The miracles are obvious." So they went and said, "Hey, it must be by the power of Satan." And this constituted the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the biblical context. In fact, uh, Jesus gave the argument in verses 23 through 26 of Matthew 12. He said, "He said he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables." Uh, he said. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished, end quote. I mean, Jesus gives a flawless argument. He's he's basically casting demons out right and left, and they're responding to Jesus like no one else. They're, they're terrified of Jesus, these demons. They, they cry out to him and say they know who he is as the Son of God and beg them, beg Jesus not to uh, torment them before their time and so they're not sent into the e- eternal uh, fire. Uh, in fact, it's interesting that word blaspheme, uh, blasphemy, it comes from a couple of different Greek words, blapto, which means to injure, and then a word for speak, and it suggests injurious speech, harmful speech. And the word blasphemy in the Greek New Testament appears 59 times, actually, but it has a variety of renderings, such as blasphemy, reviled, 
railed, evil spoken of. It's used of uh, Jesus being reviled by people who reviled him in Matthew 27, 39, uh, as they passed by uh, during his crucifixion. They passed by and railed on him. It's, it's translated in Mark 15, 29. The way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. So it's translated evil spoken of in 2 Peter 2, 2. Well, folks, Jesus gets more specific. Uh, in Matthew 12, he says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, it's interesting. Uh, here we see Jesus reveals it to be a word against. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 29 defines it even uh, in more detail. It says, because they said he had an unclean spirit. In other words, they were saying that the Holy Spirit was a demon or the power of Satan. And that's about as blasphemous as you can get is to call the Holy Spirit uh, Satan. Now, obviously, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were not doing this accidentally. It wasn't uh, unintentional. And we need to understand that from the get-go. It wasn't uh, in ignorance and what have you. They knew who Jesus was. So first of all, you aren't going to accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You're not going to misperceive something and, and in ignorance blaspheme the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 1 how he was you know, an, an evil man. He was the chief of sinners, and he says he also was a blasphemer. But he was forgiven because he did it in ignorance, you see. So we know that it's not speaking of something that's just done in ignorance. That's for sure. And also we know for sure that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, were not doing it in ignorance. We know that they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was doing these miracles. John 11, 47 and 48, we read, the chief priest, therefore, and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, quote, what are we to do? For this man is doing many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation, end quote. See, they really knew he was doing these miracles and they, but they feared the Romans and the loss of their power. They weren't really concerned about whether he was the Messiah or not. In fact, many of them knew he was from God. The religious leaders did. In fact, we know that from John chapter three. Verses 1 and 2, we read, quote, Now there was a man of the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of Israel, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, secretly that is, and said to him, quote, Rabbi, we know, now he is speaking for himself and the other Pharisees, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And we also read in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, quote, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Folks, we see this throughout the scripture. In Matthew chapter 22, we read about Jesus giving the religious leaders the parable of the landowner, how God is the gardener and he lent out his land to, to various stewards, uh, which represented the religious leaders of Israel, and how these men tried to steal his heritage. And he sent certain servants, and, and they were mistreated and put to death and what have you, you know, by these uh, stewards. And it was a picture of the kingdom of God and how the Pharisees were rejecting the prophetic writings and what God really had to say. And then we read this in Matthew 22, verse 38. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. 
and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures, quote, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes, end quote. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament folks about how he would be rejected. I'm quoting these various scriptures to show that they knew many of them realized he was the son of God, that these miracles testify that he was the son of God, but they did not want to, according to Jesus, give up his power. Not saying all of them, but many of these religious leaders knew exactly what was going on and they knew that God was testifying through him, but they had such a grip on power, kind of like Herod when Jesus came into the world during the, the beginning of his incarnation and Herod basically sought to have him killed so he wouldn't lose his power as king because the king of the Jews had been born. Now, it's interesting, even in the Jewish Talmud, I'm reading from the Babylonian Talmud, the oral tradition of the Jews, which is put on par almost with scripture by many Jews, even though it's a mess of contradictions of, of various Jewish folks, leaders, rabbis arguing with one another. But it states in Sanhedrin 43a of the Babylonian Talmud uh, that Jesus was executed on the eve of Passover, uh, that, you know, and, and it says some accurate things actually, but it says that he was a sorcerer. That's very inaccurate. And that he had enticed other Jews into apostasy and what have you. Now, brothers and sisters, here it is again. In, in ancient Jewish writings, uh, extra biblical evidence of Jesus, by the way, we have uh, Roman historian Tacitus, the Jewish historian Josephus, both writing in the first century of Jesus as a real person. No scholars, basically virtually all scholars, uh, secular and Christian, recognize that he truly existed. Unfortunately, he was being called a sorcerer even years later in the Jewish Talmud. In fact, the Talmud actually refers to Jesus as Yeshu. In fact, the Talmud actually records Jesus' name as Yeshu. Now, it's interesting because Yeshu is an acronym, which means may his name be blotted out, quote, end quote. So uh, I've witnessed in Israel uh, to many Jews, seen, we've seen people come to Christ, they're Jewish folks, it's beautiful. Yet when you talk to some of the Orthodox Jews, uh, they'll refer to him as Yeshu. And they know it's an acronym for may his name be blotted out. But folks, what are we seeing thus far? It's not a thought, a mere thought that constitutes blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or even blasphemy against Jesus. Jesus said, all blasphemies shall be forgiven, this says a man, even blasphemies against the Son. You see, so uh, even the Jews had blasphemed his name and the Gentiles had blasphemed the name of Jesus. Read Acts chapter two, Jesus spoke to those who said that he told, these, he told them that you had crucified Jesus. Yet he says to, to repent and be saved just two verses later, folks, so you can be forgiven. Also, uh, in regard to thoughts, we see that it's not about thoughts or thoughts that come into your head about God that you wrestle with and what have you. We see that when Jesus speaks of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he says when a man speaks against the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just questioning God and what have you. It was actually calling the Holy Spirit Satan. However, folks, yet there's others who say, and they're well-meaning, they say that, hey, you can't commit that sin today because, you know, you can't duplicate the circumstances in which they committed that sin. Jesus, that was during the time of Jesus' incarnation and what have you. Well, next week we'll pick this up and we'll see that, yeah, I'm sorry, I have to disagree. You definitely can commit that sin today. However, at the same time, I want to show you, I wish we had time this week to do it. So make sure you tune in next week on KKLA at two o'clock because what we'll be looking at is the fact that the scriptures actually show that, and I'm going to show you from the word of God, that so many people that think they've committed that sin, anyone who's actually concerned that they want to be right with God and that they may have committed that sin, there's actually hope for you. Even if you've actually said certain words and you, you've doubted the work of the Holy Spirit, things of that nature, there's a lot of hope for you. And I'm going to show you based on the word of God. And we're going to see that next week. But before I sign off, folks, let me leave you with one promise that applies to anybody who truly comes to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, if you're contemplating whether he'll accept you or not, he says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away. 
Okay, brothers and sisters, we want to thank you for joining us with the Good Fight Radio Show. We look forward to being with you next week. Uh, Until then, keep your eyes on Jesus and your hands on the plow. Press on to know him and make him known. Until next time, God bless you all. You've been listening to pastor and author Joe Schimmel on the Good Fight Radio Show. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, please visit goodfightradio.org, where we feature many eye-popping and life-changing resources on DVD and CD, as well as an archive of previously aired shows. You can visit our podcast page at goodfightradio.org to find many of Pastor Joe's full Sunday morning teachings. If you've been blessed by this show and would like to share this blessing with others, you can help support our ministry by visiting our donate page also at goodfightradio.org. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We thank you for tuning in. Join us next time on the Good Fight Radio Show. Love life, it comes down to just one thing.